I want you to take your Bibles to the book of Luke chapter 17. Luke 17, begin with verse number 11. Luke chapter 17, begin with verse number 11. If you're there, say amen. Now it happened as he went to Jerusalem that he passed through the midst of Samaria and Galilee. Then as he entered a certain village, there he met ten men who were lepers, who stood afar off. They lifted up their voices and said, Jesus, Master, have mercy on us. So when he saw them, he said to them, Go show yourself to the priest. And so it was that as they went, they were cleansed. And one of them, when he saw that he was healed, returned and with a loud voice glorified God. He fell down on his face and his, on his, at his feet, giving thanks, for he was a Samaritan. And Jesus answered and said, Were there not ten cleansed? But where are the nine? Were there not found who returned to give glory to God except the foreigner? And he said to him, Arise, go your way, for your faith has made you well. Tonight, just for a few moments, I want to preach on the thought, where are the nine? Where are the nine? Look to your neighbor and ask your neighbor, where are the nine? Where are the nine? Heavenly Father, we give you praise and glory that you're the ever-present help in the time of trouble. We pray that as we look at your word tonight, that you would bring clarity, that we would understand your word, that not only would we understand your word, but your word would bear fruit within our lives. Lord, we're not called just to be faithful, but we're called to be fruitful. And I pray that we would be strong men and women of God who would hear your word, understand your word, apply it to our life, that we may bear fruit like a tree planted by rivers of living water. Bless our time of study tonight. And Lord, you know I cannot speak and preach unless you anoint me, for I am just your mouthpiece. You don't anoint me, Lord. I cannot speak with urgency. So anoint your servant tonight, anoint those who hear me, that they would hear the words of the Master tonight, and we won't fail to praise you for it. And everyone said, Amen. Where are the nine? Where are the nine? Luke chapter 17, verse 11. I'm sure that you've heard this passage preached many times, because it is a familiar passage that we've all heard, and uh, especially we hear this story during Thanksgiving time. Although this is not the season of Thanksgiving, I do believe it is our responsibility, according to the Apostle Paul, for us to be thankful at all times. Am I right? We should live in a spirit of generosity, and we certainly should live in a spirit of thanksgiving. But this story demonstrates to us tonight the power of someone giving thanks to God. Do you know, according to early church history, early church history, approximately 200 years after the resurrection of Christ, after Jesus ascended to the Father, the early Christians met together and they met in homes. The first Christian church was not erected until after the year 325. So church buildings, such as what we have today, were not erected until after the year 325. And before then, the first 300 years of Christianity, Christians met in homes and they usually met on Saturday night to observe the Sabbath, and Christians also met on Sunday morning 
because Sunday morning, according to Luke, represents the resurrection of Jesus. So they were divided. So they went Saturday evening, and they went to church on Sunday morning to observe the resurrection of Jesus. So when you got up to go to church this morning, you are participating in a practice that's been practiced for 2,000 years. Christians have been getting up to go to church on Sunday morning. We don't worship on Friday because the Muslims worship on Friday. We don't worship on Saturday because the Jews worship on Saturday. We worship on Sunday, not because of law, but because it represents the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Our very appearance at church on a Sunday morning shows that we firmly hold to the truth that Jesus died, he was buried, but on the third day he was resurrected. Somebody give God praise and glory. So just by your very appearance this morning, you have demonstrated that you believe physically in the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Now why am I saying that? Because when the early Christians went to church, they did not say, let's go to church. They used the phrase, let's go and give thanks. Thanks. And that is where you get the word mass, M-A-S-S, because mass is the word for thanksgiving. Let's go and give thanks. And that was the tradition of the early church, that they would go and give thanks to God. Why would you go to church when you are the church? So they would go to church, and their primary responsibility was to give God thanks, and they participated in the communion service because that was the Thanksgiving meal where they remembered the death and the burial of Jesus Christ. So they took communion every Sunday, and not only did they take communion every Sunday, but according to Eusebius, which is an early Christian historian, he said the early Christians took communion every Sunday, and they also had a potluck dinner after the, the morning service. So they ate together every week. Because the early Christians realized that if we're going to be a part of a family, you are not a part of a family if you isolate yourself from the body of Christ. They believed that if you're going to be a part of a church, then you need to be connected to the church. So the idea of distancing yourself from people and not coming to church is not rooted in Scripture and is certainly not rooted in what the early disciples taught. Because if you're going to be connected to the head, you're going to have to be connected to the body. Can I say amen? Jesus is the head and you are the body. And the body cannot function unless it's connected to the head. Can somebody say amen? You're the body and Jesus is the head. And the body cannot function unless it's connected to the head. You say, well, preacher, I don't like people who go to church. Well, guess what? There are people that you work with you don't like. There's people at the grocery store that rubs you wrong, but you still have to get groceries. There's, you go to the bank and somebody rolls their eyes at you. There's people every day of your life that you don't like, but that doesn't mean you stop the activity of what you're doing. Well, I'm preaching real good here. Can somebody say amen? So, so the early Christians believed that in order for them to be the, the Christian that God has called them to be, they must go and give thanks to God. Not only thanks to God, but they were thankful to be with one another because they realized that thanksgiving 
thanksgiving was twofold. I give God thanks for what he has done through the body and the blood of Christ, but I also give God thanks for my brothers and my sisters. Can I hear an amen? So when you come to church, it's not necess- It's all about God, but yes, it's about our brothers and sisters because that is why we are call, call each other brother so-and-so or sister so-and-so because that practice was started in the third century. When early Christians went to church, they started referring to themselves as brother and sister because they realized that the true family is not necessarily connected through genetics, but the true family of God is connected through the blood of Jesus Christ. And that makes you my brother and that makes you my sister. And we're going to stick this thing together and we're going to worship God together. So that means that you're not called to give up on the church. Listen, we all have our things that we don't like about the church, but we are a family. And a family says, I'm going to stick with you no matter what I like or dislike. Now, there are some people in my family I probably don't want to have Christmas dinner with, but because they're my family, I make myself do it. Can I hear an amen? Can somebody say amen? But with the house of God, we should be eager to come and be thankful for with one another. You may not like what brother and sister has done. You might not like what brother has said or what your sister has said, but let's appreciate each other's weaknesses and let's appreciate each other's strength because all of us together or is a movement, a strong movement, an army that God has intended for us to be. And if we don't stick together, we're not going to get anything accomplished. Isn't it amazing that in the book of Genesis, you have unrighteous people coming together. Now get this, unrighteous people coming together and they put their minds together, Sister Kathy. They put their skill together. They put their heart together. And the Bible says they built a tower of Babel. As a matter of fact, the Bible says they built it so high that God looked down and said, I probably need to come down there and do something because if I don't come down there and do something, they're going to continue to build and build and build. So I'm going to have to go down there and confound their languages and stop the activity. Well, let me ask you something, church. If that is unrighteous, folks, If unrighteous folks can get so unified, it gets the attention of God, what would happen if righteous folks get together? What kind of attention can we get from God? We'll never accomplish anything for the cause of Christ if we don't come together in a spirit of thanksgiving, being thankful for one another's weaknesses and strength, and also thankful for what Christ has done through us. You see... This story demonstrates to us that where are the nine? Not everybody's thankful. Everybody's in for a fish sandwich, but not everybody will spend the night with the Savior in the garden. You see, the Bible says in verse number 12, I just want us to look at it. Verse number 12, the Bible says, and then he entered a certain village. There he met 10 men. And what? Verse number 12, look at it. Luke 17, verse 12, the Bible says, and they were afar off. These ten men were afar off. Somebody say afar off. Not nine of them, but all ten of them were afar off. 
the very first thing I want you to see tonight, that that represents us. Those 10 men in the scriptures represent us tonight. Because before we met Christ, every one of us was afar off. Before we come to the saving knowledge of Jesus, every one of us was afar off. We were afar off in our sin. We were afar off in our shame. We were far off in our guilt. We were far off. We were annihilated, alienated from the commonwealth of Israel. We were separated from God because of our rebellion and because of our sin. We stood afar off. And that is the first thing in the progression of our faith is for us to realize that in our sin, we are afar off. In other words, we are distant from God. We are far off from God. And listen, we live in a generation where we don't see the conversions like we used to because people don't think they've done anything wrong. You ask him, are you saved? And their reply is, saved from what? That's the generation we live in. But the first step in giving God thanks is realizing how far we were off. You can never be thankful unless you realize how deep in sin you really were. Some of us come to church with our arms folded, never praise God, never give God the glory, because some of us has never really faced the depth of our sin and the seriousness of our sin. Ladies and gentlemen, your sin has separated you from God. Separated you from God. These ten men stood afar off because their sin or their leprosy separated them from the community. And that's what sin does. Sin separates us from the community of God. It separates us. Listen, when you sin... You sin against God. People say, well, I need to forgive myself. That's not Bible. You sinned against God. It's God's forgiveness that you need. And number two, when you sin, you sin against the community. And so reconciliation is twofold. You are brought in spiritually through the forgiveness of the blood of Christ. And then number two, you brought into the church. You see, there are three baptisms in Scripture. The first baptism is called the baptism of salvation. You see, the Greek word for baptism means to immerse. So when you are born again, you are immersed into the family of God. You are baptized into the family of God. You are brought out from the kingdom of darkness, and you are immersed into the kingdom of light. That is the first baptism. The second baptism is what we call the baptism of fire, fire, fire. So not only are you brought into the family of God, the second baptism is you are immersed in the fire of God because God has not called you to sit, sour, and soak. He's called you to go. And when fire gets on you, you're going to go. The third baptism is what we call the baptism of water because after you are baptized, brought into the family of God. And once you experience the baptism of fire or the baptism of the Holy Spirit, then you make a public example with water in front of the community of faith that you are now a follower of Jesus Christ. You see, through this story, it is demonstrated that these ten men stood afar off. These ten men never experienced the baptism of salvation 
They didn't know what was the baptism of fire or the baptism of water. They stood afar off. But God has provided three baptisms for us to bring us back into the community of faith. Some of you are saved tonight. You know exactly what it means to be born again. You've confessed your sin. You've repented of your sin. You are baptized into the community. You are baptized into the family of God. But are you baptized with the Holy Spirit? Have you received the endowment of power that when the Holy Spirit comes upon you, the very first thing that will happen is that your language will change? Have you received the endowment of power? Do you know what it means to be baptized in the Holy Ghost? Because you know what that does? That keeps you from going afar off. And then there is the baptism of water. You see, baptism is not a private event. Baptism is a public event. Everywhere somebody was baptized in Scripture, it wasn't in their bathtub. It was in front of somebody. Because baptism is a public event to demonstrate that you are now following the example of Christ. You are buried with him in baptism. Baptism means to immerse. Are you immersed into the family of God? Are you immersed in the fire of God? And have you been immersed in water to show a public example of your faith? Or are you still afar off? You see, they were afar off. They were not baptized into the family of God. They were baptized in their sin, in their leprosy. Now, isn't it amazing that these ten men, verse number 13, Luke chapter 17, verse 13, they lifted up their voices and said, Jesus, Master, have mercy on us. The second thing I see here is that these ten men did not ask for healing, they asked for mercy. Nowhere in Scripture... Do you see these men asking for healing? They ask for mercy. Now what is mercy? Mercy is pity. So these ten men, when they were standing afar off, they realized how far they were away from the community, and the very first thing that they asked of the Master was have mercy on us. Because listen, when you're in the depth of sin, sometimes you don't have the courage to ask what you really need. All they could say is, have mercy on us. In other words, Jesus, we'll take anything. We'll take food. We'll take clothing. We'll take shelter. We're lepers. We can't go home to our families. We can't kiss our babies. We, we, we can't kiss our wives and husbands. We are alienated from the community of faith. So Jesus, just have mercy on us. And you know why I like this? Because these ten men were not self-absorbed. These ten men were dependent upon the mercy of Jesus Christ. And I pray, ladies and gentlemen, that we would come back to where we're not self-absorbed anymore, but that we fall at His feet and say, Jesus, have mercy on us. They didn't go up in God's presence and demand that they get healed and demand that God does this. It's interesting to me that we live in a generation that we demand a lot of things from God. As if you're God and He's your servant. This scripture teaches us the proper example that these lepers came to, them, came to Christ in a spirit of humility. I'll take whatever 
you want to do because you already know I'm sick. You already know I'm a leper. I'm just asking you to have mercy on us, Lord. Whatever you want to do, because whatever you do will be better than what I'm experiencing now. You know what these lepers were saying? Lord, I trust your judgment. If you see fit to heal us, I trust you. But if you never heal us, that's okay, because I'm just asking for mercy, and whatever you do, I trust you. Are we at the place in our life, ladies and gentlemen, that we can come to Christ and not demand things, but trust that whatever he does is in our best interest? Do you have that type of faith? Instead of demanding things from God, just to come to God and say, Lord, I trust you. And listen, you know, I went through three hard weeks, and I'm not exalting my experience, because all of us have had bad experiences in our life, but it was a learning experience for me because I remember in the car when it happened and they said my mom passed away. I, I was so mad and I was crying. I took my hand and I was hitting the steering wheel as hard as I could. I was mad. I hit my car because I was stuck in traffic for eight hours. I couldn't get there. I was so frustrated and mad and crying and, and yelling in the car and doing all this stuff. And, and through a process of time, the Holy Spirit had to tell me, son, I knew this was going to happen, and you've got to trust that what I did is perfect for you. It's perfect. You can't understand everything. When you can't trace God, you've got to trust God. Just trust Him. And that is the hardest thing to do, is to trust God when you think something should have happened a certain way. See? He says, just have mercy on us, Lord. Just have mercy on us. Now, isn't it interesting that verse 14, and so when he saw them, he said to them, go show your, verse 14, go show yourself to the priest. And so it was as they went, they were cleansed. They never asked for healing. And Jesus never said he was going to heal them. Now, don't, don't lose me because, you know, I, I, I'm about to shout here. If y'all just get what I just said, Jesus never said you're healed. Jesus never spoke a scripture over them. Jesus never said anything. All he said was go show yourself to the priest. In other words, Jesus said, be obedient to what I'm telling you to do. And in your obedience, you're going to get healed. Somebody say amen. Now, hold on. Why do you need to go show yourself to the priest when you still have leprosy? These men still have leprosy. It's kind of odd for Jesus to say, Lord, have mercy on us. And all Jesus says was, go show yourself to the priest. Hold on, Jesus. Do you see these sores on me? And why do I need to go show myself to the priest and I'm still sick? He's going to deem me unclean if he sees me. I've already been to the priest. The reason I'm excommunicated from the community is because the priest said I was excommunicated. So you want me to go back to the priest and I'm still sick. Jesus never said you're going to get healed. Jesus never spoke a word of encouragement. He said just go sow yourself to the priest. And immediately these ten men, these ten people agreed to obey the word of the Lord 
And as they went, as they obeyed the Lord, the Lord healed them as they went. You see, everything you need in life is in a place called obedience. If you can ever get to a place and say, Lord, I obey you no matter how ridiculous it sounds. I know I don't even have enough money to pay my light bill, but you're going to come first in my finances. I'm going to be obedient to you because as I'm obedient to you, you're going to bring the blessing. And as they went, they were cleansed. As they went, they were healed. You see, listen to me. Listen, this is very important. Don't become frustrated between already and not yet. Can I say that again? Can somebody just help this preacher preach tonight? Can I say that again? Everybody say, say it again, preacher. Rewind it, preacher. Okay, and we'll rewind this thing and back it up. Are you all ready? Don't become frustrated between already and not yet. We become frustrated because we want something to happen already, but it's not yet happened. And we become frustrated in the middle. But you see, the middle is called obedience. As you are being obedient to the word of the Lord, your not as is going to change to already. Somebody say amen. As they were going to the priest, as they were making their way, they were healed. You're, you have to continue to move. This is important. You have to continue to move even when your condition is the same. Can I say that again? I'm going to say it again. Everybody repeat this after me. You have to continue to move even when your condition is the same. You see? They had leprosy. Go show yourself to the priest. They were the same. But they continued to move in the direction of the priest. They continued to move even with their leprosy. They continued to move and obey the word of the Lord even in their bandages. They begin to walk. Can you imagine? These ten men, after Jesus said, go show yourself to the priest, they have bandages all over themselves. They have bandages all over their face. Their leprosy is oozing from their bodies. And yet Jesus says, I want you to walk to the priest can you imagine how painful that was as they had to walk to the priest? But as they begin to walk to the priest, their healing begin to occur, ladies and gentlemen, because you've got to continue to move even when things are not changing in your life. The problem is, is we want to give up when there's nothing changing in our life. You need to continue to move when your condition is even the same. You know why? He said, go show yourself to the priest. Because this is a prime example of God often works things out while you are on your way. God works things out while you are on your way. Between here and there, 
God is saying, I'm going to change something in your life. I'm going to say that again. Between here and there, God is saying, I'm going to change something in your life. I'm going to do something miraculous in your life. Between here and between there, I'm going to work some things out in your life. You see, faith is exemplified in what you do and not necessarily what you believe. They believe the word, so therefore they moved. Don't tell me you believe that church is important and you never come. Don't tell me you believe stewardship is important and you never put God first. Don't tell me you believe marriage is sacred when you don't treat your husband and wife properly. Don't tell me you are praying for me when you're not praying for me. Don't tell me you respect leadership when you don't practice it. Faith is exemplified by what you do and not necessarily by what you believe. These ten men exemplified the faith that they had in Christ by what they did. And what did they do? They moved to the priest. That showed Jesus that they believed the word. Now, look at verse 15. And one of them, so as they went, they were cleansed. As they went, they were healed. Verse 15. And one of them, when he saw he was healed. Now, this, this is so awesome. When he saw he was healed, returned with a loud voice and glorified God. He fell down on his face, giving him thanks, for he was a Samaritan. So, guess what? As they were on their way to the priest, obeying the word of the Lord, as they were going, one of them said, hold on here. Something is happening to me. I couldn't move my hands before. I couldn't move my feet like this before. Something miraculous is happening to me. And he stopped. He said, hold on, brothers, brothers, brothers. I know Jesus said go all the way to the priest, but before I get there, just give me a few minutes because I'm going to run back real quick and I'm going to give him thanks and I'm going to give him glory. Now where are the other nine? They just continued to go. But Pastor Jesus said go to the priest. Yes, he did. The man that returned to give thanks, he is going to go show himself to the priest. But before he goes, he's going to go back to the true healer and give him some thanks before he goes to the priest. Can you imagine? Oh, I can just imagine in my mind's eye, all ten of them walking, and as they're walking, they're getting healed. I mean, they're probably rejoicing and shouting and dancing, and they're saying to themselves, man, after I go to the priest, maybe I get to go, I get to go home and hold my baby that I haven't been able to hold in years. And I can hear one other of them saying, I get to go home and kiss my wife. I, 
haven't been able to show affection to my wife in years because this leprosy had excommunicated me from the community. It's excommunicated me from my family. I could hear another one of them saying, I can't wait to go back to work and provide for my family. But one of them said, before I go to my mama, before I go to my wife, before I go to my husband, before I go to the priest, I've got to go back to the true source of my healing. We live in a church world where we put a lot of stock in our jobs and our homes and families. And we think that that is the source of our contentment and security. Let me remind you that Christ is the source of all contentment and security. Families are wonderful, but without Christ, your family is nothing. Your job is wonderful, but He's the one that gives you the ability to work that job. These ten lepers argued among themselves about how excited they were to go work their jobs and kiss their babies and go about their life. But one of them said, I'm going to do that too. Believe me. Before I do all that, I'm going to go acknowledge the reason I was healed. You know why this is important? Because I'm a pastor, and I've prayed for hundreds of people. Lord, provide them with a job. And guess what God does? God provides them with a wonderful job, and then they miss church Sunday after Sunday. get that extra paycheck and buy a boat and you never see them. Because they're just like the nine lepers. Going, they're excited that God has answered their request. Never one time did the nine come back and acknowledge the true source of blessing. Oh, boats and cars, all of that's wonderful. Y'all know that's wonderful. I'll be the first to say all of that's good. Come on, somebody. Come on, somebody. All of it's good and great. This story demonstrates to us that one of it acknowledged where it came from. Now, isn't it interesting? Now, y'all know that my method of preaching is I love to take a story and I just like to dissect it and dissect it and dissect it. Y'all know that, don't you? Just get everything out of it. And it's interesting to me that in verse 15, it says, and one of them, when he saw that he was healed, returned with a loud voice, loud voice, and glorified God. Can I just say this? Your thanksgiving should be as loud as your request. I, I don't know, my, can I just say that again? Rewind this, preacher. Thank you, I will rewind it. Rewind this thing. Your thanksgiving should be as loud as your request. Now, hold on, hold on. What was their request? Their request was, let's look at it, verse 13, right? Look at verse 13, Luke 17, 13. And they lifted their voices and said, Jesus, have mercy on us. That was the request. But now, look at verse number 15. And one of them when he saw he was healed, returned with a loud voice and glorified God. 
I'm saying tonight that your thanksgiving should be louder than your request. Come to God with your thanksgiving list and not your shopping list. He yelled loud to give God thanks. And he glorified God and he fell on his face because he was a Samaritan. In other words, Jews and Samaritans didn't get along too well. And he knew that by the very act of him getting healed was a great blessing to him. Now, this is what I saw. And maybe, maybe, you know, maybe you don't see this, but I saw this. So can I show you what I saw here? Verse number 19. So verse 16, he fell on his face. He was a Samaritan. Verse 17, Jesus answered and said, Where are, are there not ten that was cleansed? Where are the nine? But only one returned to give God glory, and he was a foreigner. Verse 19, and he said to him, Arise, go your way, your faith has made you well. Now hold on here. They all received divine healing. They were all healed. Even though the nine didn't come back, they were still healed. One came back to give thanks, but Jesus said to the one, to the one, in verse number 19, he says, Arise, go your way, your faith has made you well. The word well means wholeness. It doesn't necessarily mean healing. It means, it means spiritual and physical and emotional. It's the whole being. So Jesus is saying, you're already healed physically. He said, but because you return to give me thanks, I'm going to heal everything else about your life. <laughs> come on, somebody. He said, I know you're already physically healed, but because you come back to give me thanks, I'm going to heal everything else about your life. I want to tell you something tonight, church. God not only wants to heal you physically, He wants to heal everything about your life. He said, arise and go your way, for you are healed. You are well. That's what Thanksgiving does. Thanksgiving has a way of making you well. See, this story demonstrates to us that one went back before he went forward. One went back before he went forward. Don't confuse motion with progress. Don't confuse motion with progress. One went back before he moved forward. This tells us, listen, listen. If you want to progress in your life, if you want to go forward in your life, the way to go forward in your life is sometimes to go back in your life. What do you mean, pastor? Have you went back and apologized to the people you've hurt? Have you shrugged it off as if it doesn't matter and God has forgiven you? Sometimes in order for you to really go back, you've got to go back and make things right. Say, Pastor, where is that in the Bible? It's called the doctrine of restitution. Restitution states 
that just because you are forgiven by the blood of Christ does not mean you're off the hook. Jesus said, come down off of the tree, Zacchaeus, for salvation has come to your house. And Zacchaeus said, Lord, if I've done anything wrong, I'll go back and pay fourfold. That's the doctrine of restitution. Because when your heart has been really changed by the mercy of God, you want to make things right. And you want to make things right with people. I don't understand how people can snub their parents and not talk to their parents and snub people and not talk to them for 20 years. You have not understood the doctrine of restitution. When God truly touches your heart, there's a going back to make things right. I didn't say they listen to you. And I didn't say they would even receive it. But I am saying you go back to try to make it right. One of them went back. See, one was separated from the nine. One. Why one? Why one? Because that's how it usually is, isn't it? Most people give up. Most people get discouraged. Most people fall along the wayside, according to Jesus. Jesus said that the narrow gate is only a few. Only a few. But the broad gate, there's many. Oh, look around. There's a year from now, some of you might quit. I don't know. Depends on how strong your faith is. But that's how it's demonstrated. Usually nine will stay behind. But usually in the end, there's a small group that will stick with it. That's why Jesus said, Many will say to me, Lord, Lord, in that day, have we not done these wonderful things? And Jesus says, depart from me, I never knew you. Because that's the key. There's only a few that get it. Jesus said, the reason I teach in parables is because your heart is hard and you don't understand. And I've got to tell you in parables so your heart is enlightened. There's only a few really in the end. Jesus said, because of this, the love of many will draw cold. The Apostle Paul echoed the words and said, in the last days, there'll be a great falling away. Because really there's only one while the nine is off doing their business. Now, I'm not a doom and gloom preacher. I'm a gospel preacher. That's the gospel. It's very few. That's why there's a narrow gate there's a broad gate. You know why there's a narrow gate? Because there's one walking it. There's a broad gate because there's nine others. Be occupied. You don't know source their contentment. Jesus told a parable. And he said there was a man who built many barns because he had a lot of stuff. And I came to him one night and I said, you're a fool. Keep building your buildings and barns. You're hoarding your stuff up. Tonight, your life will be required of you. You know why Jesus called the man a fool? Because he never acknowledged the true source where those things came from. He thought it was himself. Thank you, Pastor. See, what does this story teach us? It teaches us tonight that thanksgiving is the secret of wellness. 
It teaches us tonight that sometimes you do got to go back before you go forward. It teaches us that not everybody gets it, but somebody will get it. Somebody does. Somebody will be enlightened. Somebody will come to his feet. Somebody will give God glory. It teaches us that our thanksgiving should be louder than our request. It teaches us that in this scripture there is a dependency on Christ, not a demanding that God does what you want Him to do, but a merciful spirit. Whatever you do, I trust that your plan is greater than my plan. It teaches us that faith is exemplified in what you do and not necessarily what you believe all the time. It teaches us that you've got to continue to move even when things are not changing in your life. It teaches us that God is working as you're moving. It teaches us that before here and there, God's working in your life. Where are the other nine? The other nine, yes, they were healed. This is my closing. Get this. Where are the other nine? They're physically healed. The point of the story is I just don't want to physically heal you. The point of the story is I got more for you than just to heal your body. I want to bring wholeness to your life. Some of you are physically healed. You're healthy tonight. But are you well spiritually? What about your mind tonight? What about your heart? Are you whole there? Jesus told one of them, because you come back, your faith has made you whole. And one man, one man left. Not only was he physically healed, but something happened in him spiritually. Something happened to him mentally and emotionally. Because God says, what I really want to do in your life is more than just a physical touch. What I want to do in your life is deeper than a physical touch. I want to bring wholeness to your life. Some of us is healthy, but we're tormented spiritually. We can't sleep at night because our mind won't shut down. That's not wholeness. Oh, we're healthy and we work jobs, but inside there's a battle. You know how you can get through it? Come back and give Him thanks. And as you're giving him thanks, God says, I'm going to bring healing to your body. Bring wholeness to your mind and your spirit. How healthy are you tonight? I didn't mean to preach so hard. I know I've been gone for four weeks. i tell you what, this, this was in my spirit. Can I hear an amen? God wants to bring wholeness and healing to you. And that's what the spirit is saying to me. Now, now, now I know I'm... I'm not mad or upset. I love you guys very much. I'm just excited. And so the Spirit has been speaking to me and said, Josh, how healthy are you? How healthy are you? Are you healthy spiritually? Are you healthy mentally? Are, is your relationships healthy? One of them got more than a physical healing. He got wholeness beyond his imagination. See, if you're sick tonight, you can be physically healed. 
your heart could be sick. Your mind could be sick. Your soul could be sick. That's sick, ladies and gentlemen. It's a cycle. Rise, go your way. Faith made you well. It's already healed. It was already healed. There's a deeper healing that's happening in your life. 